Welcome to episode two of the Moana Nui podcast. Today we sit down with Alan Carter. Alan is an artist, writer, promoter, and the sole creator of two independent comics called Damn Tourists and Cosmic Force. He lives in Los Angeles, but is originally from Hawaii. Alan tells us how his favorite childhood cartoons inspired him to create worlds of his own that were patterned after special places in Hawaii. Alan also shares his thoughts on the Black Lives Matter movement and how we can be good allies to the people and the cause. You can find Alan on Facebook at Carter Comics and on Instagram at Carter Comics One. And links to both of his platforms can be found in the show notes. So let's start off by a brief introduction. Why don't you tell our listeners who you are and what you do? Of course, I'm Alan Carter of Carter Comics. I am artist, writer, promoter, just so creator of two independent comics, a title called Damn Tourists, that's my main one, Traveler's Parody, and a sci-fi book called Cosmic Force. And I take two of those books, and I was promoting them at several conventions. Right now, I'm just doing a lot of online stuff like a lot of people. But I've done conventions mostly where I live in, in Southern California, in Los Angeles. Uh, also in Washington, D.C., in, in Colorado. And I got to go home to Hawaii, where I'm originally from, to do a show earlier this year before things uh, shut down. So that's uh, that's most of what I do. That's awesome. I love how you travel all over. Um, as someone who's also <laughs> in the independent comic industry, um, I, I absolutely appreciate uh, the hustle that it takes to, you know, create and also promote and, and distribute your work um, to the general public, for sure. So like you, I wish I could be at home in Hawaii right now. Uh, I was supposed to actually be home this weekend uh, for a trip. I was going to go home to Kauai Comic Con. And I'm, I'm so bummed that I can't be there, but um, definitely not in a place <laughs> where we definitely want to, uh, you know, impact our families and think about our family's health and everything. While we're on that topic, though, you mentioned that, you know, you're originally from Hawaii. It was your family like, is it a multi-generational kind of thing or how did your family end up in Hawaii? Well, uh, my parents were looking for teaching jobs. My father's from Oklahoma and my mother's from uh, Cleveland. So they met in college at Ohio State, and they were in Maryland, and my sister was already born when they were looking for teaching jobs, couldn't find any in Maryland. My uncle lived in Kaneohe, and he was building houses, or he was building houses in Kaneohe, but he lived in Pearl City. So they moved there in Pearl City, mostly central to West Oahu, and I was born in 80, about three years later. So it was, it was this weird thing where it was just a work thing and they weren't really thinking about moving to Hawaii. It's just like, hey, those, that's where the jobs were. We have family there. We can stay up for a while before we get set up. And we, we weren't sure if they were going to stay. And after a while, once they got set up with teaching jobs, they said, oh, okay, yeah, we kind of like, like, we kind of like it here. We can stay. So for me, it was like, that's the first thing I saw. So I was never, for me, it was always home and I never got the tourist vibe of it until I moved and was gone long enough. And then I kind of saw it. I was gone for like maybe five, six years, came back and then realized, okay, I can see what tourists think. Because for me, it's just like, yeah, the beach is always there. I mean, it's cool, but I mean, I got to go to school. (laughs) I've always appreciated home, but like not really truly appreciating it until you move away. Mm -hmm. And you think of like all the things that, you know, you have taken for granted, the the little things, the food, the, the people, the the friends the you know the culture the way people are um 
when you live away from home for a while, you know, it's like, oh, I kind of feel out of my out of my skin here. <laughs> That's awesome. So what did they end up teaching? Uh, my both my father and mother were teaching uh, elementary school. Okay. So my father taught fourth grade and then my mother taught sixth grade, fifth grade, special education, became an administrator. And my mother was a teacher about 20 years and both on the Wainai coast. That's pretty much where I grew up. So it was as, you know, Hawaii small island, just one as a small town. So everybody knew them. So I was always like, oh, Mrs. Carter's son, Mrs. Carter's son. And, you know, it was, they were like institutions, like everybody kind of knew. So it was like a little easier to make friends, even if like I was at the same school. I attended the same school my mom taught at. Okay. So even more so. So the staff knew me as well as the students, even the students that my, my mother taught. <laughs> gotcha. So there was no troublemaking for you, at least not without <laughs> consequence. <laughs> Yeah, it was one of those like, oh, no, it's Mrs. Carter. So it's like, oh, oh she's so cool because she's everybody just loved her. That's awesome. I love that. My sister's a teacher, too. So I have a, a, a special appreciation for teachers, especially now being older and understanding, like, you know, the, the true totality of what, what they deal, <laughs> deal with on a daily basis, mm-hmm. for sure. Especially now, I know parents are appreciating it with, you know, having their kids at home and homeschooling. Oh, and, yeah. So that's really cool. How does culture influence the work that you do? I think when it started, it was primarily the backdrop. So it was, if I would, when I did like my first comic, I thought when I did my first ones, I would be influenced off of like Saturday morning cartoons thinking like, oh, I have to like make up a town. And then as I got older, I thought, oh, why don't I just use my own surroundings and just happen to be Hawaii. But I would use a lot of the things that were every day. So not like, you know, attractions or anything like that. It would just be, oh, the store I went to or something like that, or like a a shopping center. And, you know, it was a learning process. So going from elementary school to middle school to high school to later college, and then getting deeper into like, okay, I could take certain things about, you know, the culture in Hawaii and certain places and really go deep into, you know, a a story. That's how like Damn Tourist came about, because it was just like, this is just right there. Like, I've We've all dealt with it growing up there. And it's a way to just say, oh, you know, here's how not to act by making these people like exaggerated as possible. And right. even for the Cosmic Force thing, it's, it's, it's kind of different because it's more of like a sci-fi superhero book. But I basically use more landmarks for that. Like, and it takes place when I grew up. So like late 80s, early 90s. So I, took, I put it in that time. So I, use, I can use like stuff like Aloha Stadium and Pearl Ridge and even old stuff we knew like Castle Park using it for like different like landmarks and everything. So there's like the two different sides, but it got deeper with damn tourists because, you know, that's something that people really relate to. I mean, people all over can, but when I did the show in Hawaii, even more so it was like, you know, everyone owned that. I was like, oh, man, I, I say that all the time. When people would come to the table, they would say, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm all, I'm all for that. I've always experienced that. I'm like, yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome. I love how you draw on, like, just the real world itself, but also the in a shared experience that a lot of people can relate to. I think that's um, a key to making a project or a book successful is speaking, you know, to a, a broad audience. So... Yeah, I think that's really cool. Were there specific, like, um, could be regular everyday people or, like, creators that inspired you in your work? Um, There were two people. One one was kind of the given, um, just because he was everywhere, obviously, Stan Lee. Um, Just watching, like, the old Spider-Man cartoons, hearing his voice. But then when I got to know who he was and saw the first interview with him, 
I loved his energy as, as a writer. And that, that really inspired me to just create. And then for art, it was George Perez. And it was actually when I took Sam Campbell's class at Lyric Community College in uh, 2000. He looked at my work and said, yeah, you remind me a lot of George Perez because of, you like to do a lot of like elaborate backgrounds. And what a lot of things, a lot of people, and it goes to like some other artists that would say like, oh man, you know, I, I don't have the patience to do that. I was like, sometimes I don't either, but I just think of like how great it's going to look if I have a big background, like for a fight scene, things like that. So it, it's, it's those two people that, that came together. It was like the, the, the energetic creativity of Stan Lee and then just like, yeah, the elaborate backgrounds of George Perez. Yeah, as a, as a, both as a, a creator, publisher, and also as a comic reader, I definitely appreciate a good, well thought out backdrop. Like there's some books you pick up and it's, you know, it's, it's just not as developed. And so it's, you know, it's easier to just turn the pages, right? But when, when it's like, it's well thought out, there's a lot of detail in it, you know, you take the time to actually look at each panel and like, okay, let me situate myself in this story and and, in this page and this, in this framework. And let me see like what every, you know, what all is going on because with comics, it's such a visual medium. And so the art is definitely important to convey like the full story in the whole world. So that's really cool. Um, so you said you mentioned that you met Sam Campos um, at Leeward Community College. Is that how you eventually became a part of the Alliance or how did that play out? Oh, that was, it was such a long process too, because I took his class and we kind of tried to stay in touch. Of course, this was like pre-social media because it was like early 2000. So you just had, you know, phone number page and all that still. <laughs> it wasn't until I met uh, John Isabella at WonderCon and he kept talking about the Alliance and I, and he, and I asked him, Oh, so who runs that? I was like, Oh, Sam Kapp is like, are you serious? That was my instructor in college. And he's like, Oh, well, we got to get you on there. So it was such a, there was a gap between like maybe 2002, 2003 to like 2018. And I already been in LA for like more than 10 years. And then it kind of popped up again. Although we did run into each other the last two times I visited. I think, yeah, we met up at Alamoana like in 2011 or so. But even then it was like a bigger gap. And then it was WonderCon 2018 where it's like, okay, by maybe like a week, a few weeks after WonderCon, I officially joined the Alliance. And then I got to meet Sam again at Amazing Las Vegas that year. And a few of the people that flew over along with some of the people that were already in Las Vegas. That's awesome. I, I love how that networking, you know, works. Um, I feel like that's so important, especially in the... Um, in the indie comics community. Um, and so for those who might be listening and are not familiar with the Hawaiian Comic Book Alliance, it's a group of local creators um, based in Hawaii. It was start started by Sam Campos, who we've talked about, um, and Genesis Maya. She's the background behind the scenes ninja that helps us yeah. <laughs> keep everything going. She, she makes us look good, I will say that. <laughs> Um, and it's it's a whole bunch of creators. Uh, so if you guys want to, are interested in learning more about that, you can go to HawaiianComicBookAlliance.com um, and check out the artwork and the members and all of the good things that, that the team is working on. So we talked about some of the conventions that you've been to. Has there been any specific one that you found the most successful? And like, how do you define success? For me, success was... Anything you can get out of a show, whether it's even even if it's just that one thing. I mean, we all want like a multitude of things, but if I can get, you know, a bunch of people at the table to sign up for the mailing list, looking at the art, that's just as good as if I get a, a sale. Mm-hmm. And for me, like the most 
probably up until Amazing Comic Con Aloha earlier this year, WonderCon was my favorite show to do. And it was really the first, it was the first large show I did when I started doing conventions. Because I did the show in Long Beach, which was the first Western comic convention I'd done. Because Anime Expo was actually my first one initially, and I'd shared a table. But WonderCon just brings so many people there. It brings all the people that you want, because it's not really about, you know, just a crowd of people coming. You know, you want the right crowd to come in. And WonderCon is the right crowd. It's the people that really want to look at things that they've never seen before. They want to see either new art or new books because they come with like a group of people that want to go to panels and they say, well, I want to walk around. And they're like, okay, while they're at a panel, they're walking on the entire floor and they're like, oh, what's that? I've never seen that before. So they're looking for things that they're not going to see at a convention or like at a comic shop or anywhere else because, Ah. you know, they they want, you know, that new stuff. And, And that's like my audience, which has taken a while for me to really realize to say, okay, I have to target a certain group. And I know the group are people that are new to conventions that are willing to look at everything. So I have to kind of to really start to cater them. And that's where Damn Curse comes about because they're like, oh, that's something new because I saw a superhero book, you know, at every other table or I see the same type of art. Art is great, but it's like, it's very similar. So they're right. like, oh, this is kind of a new style too. So all that came together at WonderCon. And I think it's because... Orange County, along with San Francisco, that used to house WonderCon, they kind of come by and they're they're both like book-loving crowds. That's really cool. I've I've heard a lot of similar things about WonderCon. I have not ordered, um, you know, a table there myself, but I have been told by many of my friends in the industry that like you guys need to do WonderCon. It's it's perfect for what you guys are doing because people want different things, just like you <sighs> said. Do you have any like tips or best practices for a, an artist or a creator who has never done a convention before, have never, has never tabled, but wants to try to dip their toes into that arena? I would say, like a lot of things, start small. And for creators now, I mean, once things get rolling again, but the perfect, the perfect time the last couple of years was the last couple of years because they had more smaller conventions popping up. Because when I started, it was just the big ones. So you had to just kind of jump into the ocean. Now you've got like little ponds around your community to say, because there's little, there's little conventions like either like open, like an art walk or, you know, even like a comic shop signing, maybe a comic shop you frequent a lot. You can start, you mm-hmm. can start off. There's a virtual conventions for right now. And some of the best ones are ones, there was one I did where we did like a ask me anything in it, but it was just through text. And it was really cool. It was like the best way of replicating the interaction you get at a comic convention where people can ask questions. And it's actually better because they're typing it. So it's like, okay, I I can go back to the question if I need to. Like, so it's not, so even for like a starting artist, it's not too um, overwhelming. Mm. So I would definitely say, you know, comic shops, um, art walks, smaller comic cons at hotel lobbies how they used to start out those, those are yeah. perfect and it's a perfect time because you can work your way up to 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 a wonder con to a new york comic con to emerald city san diego those are all very different experiences we've when we first started um you know before we did uh started producing the wild clark chronicles we kind of just did like a convention tour like you know let's you know pick a couple across the country and let's go see what this you know what this world is all about and we we did a couple small ones and you know those like you said are easier to consume because it's not as overwhelming and you don't have that feeling of like oh my god there's so much and i'm missing out and we we actually met uh, a, a really good friend of ours eddie newsome at here at our hometown con um Bal- uh, baltimore comic con 
And he was like, oh, yeah, you know, this is this is such a big world. He was like, but if you guys are, you know, ever thinking about San Diego Comic-Con, like he's like, that one is like the Super Bowl of conventions, right? Like it's like the Disney World for adults. <laughs> and he was like, but before you go there, you should go to MegaCon first because MegaCon is like the playoffs of convention. And we're like, okay, okay. So, you know, we had been to Chicago. So not C2E2, but... um what's that other one wizard wizard chicago and that was a pretty big show too the hometown cons are, are definitely smaller ones and those are good to get more focused attention and time with people it's not really a traffic con but man you can learn so much at those cons and uh it's definitely kind of going back to what you said earlier uh the reason why your book stood out was because it didn't look like all the other ones you know like standing out having a different style and a different different types of content because i feel like there is a what's the word not really a stereotype but a perception that comics is only about superheroes right like only about batman only about superman you know only about people in capes but it's so much more than that what 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 would you how would you explain to someone who like has that mentality what would you say to them i guess just definitely uh hit up the not just the smaller conventions but things different types of art or comic events because you'll see a lot of those different people because usually like the general perception of just an artist alley at a comic convention is if first it's usually prints commissions and if it's books then it's oh it's just like superhero books which you know you could tell like a different superhero story if you wanted to but there's yeah there's certain shows like a WonderCon that kind of draw in because it all comes together the, you have the crowd looking for something different, so then you have the vendors that are providing something different for them. Mm -hmm. So you'll have the, it's, you know, like just the different books where it just, it just the title or maybe the image of the banner just turns your head. We're just like, wait, what is that? I got to go to that table. I, I, I love the convention life and I'm, I'm actually missing it a lot for the networking and, the, you know, those in-person yeah. engagements and catching up with the con family is, is always, always fun. Um, especially for those, you know, who, for some reason, I feel like those people who have like similar interests as me are always like spread out across <laughs> the country. And I'm like, I need friends like right here, right now. Mm. <laughs> So with all of the, the COVID things going on, how have you as an artist like pivoted during this time? I know you talked a little bit about being a part of a virtual convention. Are you still like um, finding ways to do commissions or do you even do commissions? Yeah, it's it's been a tough pivot for me because I've always had online platforms while I was doing physical conventions, but it was always like a secondary thing because the conventions were like, that was a big necro that would draw people to the site. It was still tough too, because there's so many people that, you know, just wanted things there. And then there's people that are like, Oh, you know, do you have it online? Like, and then the, the other thing is like, Oh, well, it's kind of here. You can kind of pick one thing up, but if you like it, then you can get online. But it's, but you know, it's, it's tough depending on, you know, what people are into, but now it's shifting the focus to having online as a primary thing. And that's been, that's still been kind of tough. And I thought it would be easier because there's no convention. So this is your only other option. But then you're, there's competition with, you know, streaming services. Because there's other things that they're getting, which, hey, I'm guilty of that too. I mean, I have a Netflix account. So, you know, sometimes where I should be kind of finishing up on a page, I'm like, oh, let me, let me watch another episode of Super World or something like that. <laughs> so it, it's, it's been tough. Like one of the things that, I think it really helped was doing live art 
which I wasn't able to do until I got, you know, a desk like phone holder. So of all the things I tried to do in terms of having the online store, one of the things was the art. So now I can, I can do things like little illustration games and hook up my, my phone and just, you know, start either doing like Facebook Live or just doing like a time lapse and then just uploading it later. And then I kind of realized, okay, that's something I can replicate because I do that at the shows too. If it's right. between people coming by, then I'll do like a sketch. And pe- and there's some people that come by and it's like, oh, I just want to watch you draw. I'm like, yeah, sure, just, just stay here. So it's a virtual version of that. So I'm trying to build on that to see like where I can take it. Right now I'm like doing like, I do a weekly agenda where I kind of talk about some of the things I do during the week. And before it was just me talking. And now it's just, okay, I'm going to draw and then talk at the same same time, which I wasn't sure was going to work because I thought I was going to get distracted by one or the other. But I've been doing it like two weeks or so so far. So it's started to kind of pick up and then do like an illustration game called Mongoose Mondays in Motion, where it's like a figure speech illustration. And I'll do like, and both of those are live. So, and I do time-lapse things on anything I'm, I'm working on. So I think I'm sure I'm trying to do that to pivot into like online stores and things like that, or, mm-hmm. and like an email list. So it's finding that one thing to draw people to stuff that I've had for years. I'm like, this is what I've been talking about. You know, you can go here and not that you like this stuff. So it's a challenge, but I, I think I'm starting to get on the right track. Yeah, that's awesome. I've seen a bunch of people doing those lives and I love those because I'm a process person, you know, because I feel like art, you have to have like a certain person to appreciate like the value of what you're looking at. Because most people be like, oh, yeah, that looks cool. Yeah. But they don't really necessarily always see like all the time and effort and, you know, the amount of times the artist probably banged their head against the wall (laughs) when something just wasn't working or, you know, how much time they spent trying to focus and not get distracted from life as we, (laughs) as we all do. So yeah, I'm I'm a, I'm a huge fan of uh, process stuff. So that's, that's cool. I I think you should definitely continue that because that's, it's like a way for folks to be like, oh, let's curiosity, right? Raising curiosity, like what's going on over there? You know, let's, let's see. So in terms of the virtual convention that you said you were a part of, did they have like a virtual table or was it more like um, a panel style kind of like, how did that work out? So it was started actually by um, Russell Nolte. Oh. And it was called um, Alternative Free Comic Day. So it was like the virtual version of Free Comic Book Day. And they had two, they had three sections of it. So you had the online panels then you had um, digital books that we would upload earlier that people can kind of look at. And then you had the Ask Me Anything. God. So in, throughout the day, I think it ran like two days, like Friday and a Saturday, like in May. And I was, I think, the last of the AMAs. But I also had my book up there. So throughout the day, you can kind of jump into some of like the live panels if you wanted to. And then in between, of course, you had the AMA. So I kind of came in, I would kind of ask questions. And it was, it was, it was mostly creators. They're our friends of creators. But it was still so much fun because, you know, we haven't been able to see each other. So mm-hmm. even if it wasn't a fan, it's like, oh, man, I haven't seen you since, like, the last con. It might not have been the last con. It could have been, like, six months before because sometimes we all, we all do the same convention. So it was, it was fun when I got to my AMAs and a lot of people that – I had seen at conventions, but other people I met through maybe other comic Zoom meetings came and asked questions and, and said, oh, you know, uh, how do you do with this process or what's, and it was, it was just, it was, there was so much energy with it. And it was, and when I, I'm going back to like, oh, not being too nerve wracking because it was text. I was like, oh, 
I can answer this question if, if I want to think about this one that was like a couple rows before, oh, I can go back to that one later. It's, it's totally cool. So it, it was so much fun. And I think that's something that should be, it should be the norm, but it depends on like the convention. Because since a lot of them aren't happening, I think for the ones that want to go on, like, they should make that as, an, as you know, an alternative now. Even if they come back, whenever they do come back physically, that should still be an alternative for the first like couple months for people that, you know, aren't sure about it. Because for me, I, I'm probably not going to do a convention in person until next year. So, and hopefully that's the time they do like a vaccine because it's, it's just, it's so tricky right now. Yeah, it's, it's been frustrating. <laughs> frustrating because, uh, you know, we had, I don't know how many, I think we had about eight conventions planned for this year. And I think six of them have already been, you know, either postponed, hopefully to the next, you know, the end of the year or, you know, just all the way till next year. <laughs> I, I've heard a lot of people say that, you know, oh, New York Comic Con. I was like, I don't think so, buddy. I really don't think it's going to happen, <laughs> especially given, you know, how much uh, New York has been impacted. Um, you know, there's, I, I believe they're still using the Javits Center for, you know, to house the homeless population. So it's definitely, I'm sure it's making a big impact there for sure. Even shows like Portland and I know Portland's canceled. LA Comic Con, they're not sure. I I I'm, I really don't know about that one. That's September. It all depends on how like a lot of like the protests go because you have people out, so you got to wait a couple of weeks to see what's going to happen with that. And that'll probably dictate all outdoor events, so especially because they might decide, oh, maybe it's going to be something to where the transmission isn't as bad outside, even if you're close, but you have face masks or something like that. Or maybe we can spread people, or maybe it is, but they spread people out, and then it's not as bad. So we're like, okay, let's just focus on outdoor, and then we'll work our way to indoor later. Yeah, that's a good point. Ooh, outdoor in the summertime. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. In the fall might be okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess we'll see. I think everybody's just trying to figure it out. What are your thoughts on the current events and the Black Lives Matter movement? Oh, I'm so proud of that. Just to see everyone in solidarity of all races for this movement of, of something that sadly has been happening, happening for far too long. Mm-hmm. And it's an even bigger risk because of the pandemic. And thinking that, you know, because it happened, I thought even more so people would, you know, be upset about it. People like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to risk it. But then it seemed without, it was like without a moment's notice, people were like, no, this has got to stop. And to see marches in so many different cities for this long. And luckily, a lot of the, the violent heart separate to the protest has subsided. And you kind of see more solidarity between you know, some law enforcement and the protesters. Um, it, it just brings a smile on my face. I mean, I wish I could be out there, but it's it's still a risk for me. It, it's so funny that COVID has made me more proud of this. I would still be proud if it wasn't for that because I'd be out there, but it's because it's like, you're taking that risk. And on one hand, I, I feel worried for people. I don't feel like it's, obviously, I don't feel like it's selfish at all. I'm just worried about them. I hope things are okay, that the transmission is not as bad. But I'm just so proud of of everyone sustaining protests for this long and everyone of all races participating in saying that this is a problem that needs to be stopped and we need to move ahead with these longstanding changes. Absolutely. So as someone who is of African-American descent and obviously a center to this whole issue, how, how could someone be a good ally to you? Because I feel like there's a lot of people who want to be, but are not quite sure on how to be. They, ju- they just have to, I mean, it's kind of a basic thing, but just, you know, be a friend and really just communicate and we'll, not just we'll listen, 
that, that's really a big thing that to people's concerns, like when they're, when they deal with the situation and just say, even if that didn't happen to you, like, you know, okay, that is horrible. That needs to be stopped. I've, I've never experienced that, but you shouldn't either. So they, they, and, and that goes for, I mean, not just that, but a lot of situations, it's a lot of it is just understanding, you know, you know just what people are going through. Even if you had it, you could, you could see, you know, how scared or how angry people are when they say that. And, you know, you like knowing a person saying, hey, you know, that shouldn't happen. That's wrong. It's really all about listening, listening to people about it, listening to black people, Absolutely. what they've been going through. Yeah. I like how you brought in that out to not just this movement, but just in general as people as human beings like listen to other people and try to empathize to their experience we don't necessarily have to put our thoughts all over it sometimes people just want you to listen to them so that they can feel like they're heard you know and when people aren't heard after saying it for generations and hundreds of years clearly we are in you know the situation that we are in today so yeah it's definitely something that starts with i feel individual people because it's so easy to you know blame point your fingers elsewhere when really we should be thinking about each of us everybody how can we do better as individuals so thanks for your thoughts on that what are some words of advice that you would give to a 10-year-old Alan? You know, knowing what, all the things that you know now, um, to a 10-year-old Alan or, or a new kid who might have aspiring goals to be an artist or a creator, what would you, what would you say to them? I guess for, and it's different because it's, it's funny, like for a 10-year-old Alan, I would have to think of him like, oh man, I can't use like all the social media stuff. We're still dealt with like all the pre-social media stuff. You'd be like, okay, keep your notes, man. That, that's, that's, all, that's all I can give you. For a 10-year-old now, oh, it's so much easier. It's like, yeah, definitely, you know, have a social media account and post your art. It's one of those things where it's like, in a way, I wish that was around, although I don't know if I'd be able to utilize it as, as well if that was around like 88 or 89 that mm-hmm. Facebook was around. But yeah, for like a 10-year-old, like, yeah, definitely like, I'm so happy that people have that. Like, you basically have like a free platform for promotion to post your artwork, uh, Facebook, especially Instagram too, to mm-hmm. your art. Um, and like I've been doing now, especially live art, a really big thing because, you know, people would love to see your, your, your process, even if you're just going to do commissions or if you're going to go into books, because either way, like they'll see like, oh, they're going to see like a full drawing or they're going to see, oh, that's why you made this panel on this on this page for the comic book. So, yeah, that's that's really the big thing. Or and if hey, if you do YouTube, even better. Yeah, just for a 10 year old right now, like the world, the digital world is your oyster. How important is storytelling? Uh, it's it's like it's the meat and potatoes. It's like when for me, it's yeah, it's that concept of oh, maybe this character should do this or go there. And then it just kind of, it snowballs from there. And then I have it, you know, you fill in the, I fill in the details later. Mm-hmm. Of, but in general, it's just, it's that guide. It's that outline that you need to say, okay, your character is going to A, B, C, D in the story. And if it's like, if you're going to do more books, then knowing you're going to have, you know, a five, a three, four, five part series, or maybe like a two or three chapter series. And where is it going to end? And, and even for me, like, there's new things I've learned because when I started my storytelling, you know, I would literally just come up, I'd have a general idea, but even things like endings would kind of come up on the fly and it took me a while to just realize, okay, let me like have an idea for an ending and work backwards, which is what a lot of writers do. And before that, it was just, yeah, just like filling things in bit by bit, even though in a way I did have the ending, but I was so used to going like just working forwards. Mm-hmm. So even having that idea, it's like, it, luckily it wasn't the fact that I didn't have an ending. It was just like, oh, okay, I should work the other way, even though I have that. It, it, it's, it's so weird, but yeah, it, it's just having that little outline. I, I, 
I kind of had the, the analogy of, of like sorting your laundry where you have like all these ideas in your head and you're just, you're dumping your laundry on the bed and it's like, okay, now you're like folding your clothes because then you're like, okay, this is going to go here. This is going to go there. And then, yeah, like you fine tune the details like in every little step. So yeah, it's, it's the outline and then, you know, putting in the details later. Gotcha. That's awesome. I like that. That analogy is the sorting and dumping your laundry out. <laughs> yeah, I always thought of that because it was like, oh yeah, it's, it's like, I'm just pretty much doing that because I'm a dialogue person too. So I do that much later because I change dialogue so much. I, I just need a general idea where I'm going gotcha. because if I do that, I'm like, oh, you know, if I, if I try to like laser focus on something on, oh, it has to be like this, it has to be totally perfect. I'm, like, I'm never going to get anything done. I have to just be like, okay, I have a general idea. It might change. I might not like something, but I just got to keep going through it because that's how I'll learn what I want as I keep going and making mistakes and saying, oh, let's do this, do this. And then later on, I'm like, okay, I'll change this and I'll change that. But the process will keep going. And, you know, I won't be, I won't stop myself for anything. Gotcha. Don't stop yourself for anything, guys. That's my takeaway from that. <laughs> yeah, just keep yeah, moving. <laughs> yeah, as a writer, I find myself in that, in that space too. Like, you know, right now I'm working, well, I'm supposed to be working on my next story in my children's book series. And I'm like, I can't decide. Like, I know I want to make a story for Nakoa, but I, I'm like, there's so much, Hawaiian culture is so rich. And so there's so much inspiration to draw from. But then at the back of my mind, I'm always like, I don't want to mess it up because I don't want to, you know, like disrespect it, right? Disrespect any, anybody because it's so easy to take it the wrong way. So I started one way, just like I did with my first book. Like I had an idea and I totally went a whole other direction. <laughs> So that's, that's cool. Sort your laundry, guys. Sort your laundry. <laughs> All right. We're actually coming back to the end of the hour. So um, for those who are interested in learning more about you or checking out your art or maybe purchasing some, where can they find you? What's the best way for them to reach you? Uh, for my books, you can go to my website, cartercomics.squarespace.com. I have digital downloads of Cosmic Force and Damn Tourists. My Facebook, uh, facebook.com forward slash cartercomics. I'll post a lot of my books in progress on different mediums. I'll do my Carter Comics agenda, which is a live sketch agenda. I'll do my Mongoose Mondays game, which is a live uh, sketch of a figure speech. And a lot of my um, events where the virtual physical will be on there. So that's basically my parent page. And of course, Twitter and Instagram, the same handle, uh, at Carter Comics One. And I'll have a lot of the same uh, live art there tend to share it to Instagram as well. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking with us today. We really appreciate you. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening. And until next time, ahoy ho. Hey.